0: Hey, miserable bitches! We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name, you should already know it, is Cody.
1: My name is Emily.
0: And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Um, somebody told me that i sing really good like because you know i'll I'll sing like oh hell to the no no she was like you actually have a really good voice i was like i
1: think she was just being nice to you was it your mom
0: no it was a (laughs) a listener it was brianna
1: i think she was just trying to be nice to you
0: well no she wasn't have a beautiful voice um how was your weekend
1: my weekend was great what did you do um i took the back seat out of my jeep (laughs) all right muscle muscle girl (laughs) i'd hope and then i uh i watched some tv i got some of the patreon things together i worked
0: yes honey she was a busy queen i
1: slept oh clean of course i made sausage yesterday my house still smells like it it's disgusting like
0: a barbecue uh like the rodeo
1: No, like like I made breakfast sausage, so it's like grease. That smells
0: good, though. I
1: know, but not when it's been like it smells like the grease.
0: Oh, grease linen. Oh, grease lining.
1: Oh my (laughs) god, you're.
0: Well, okay. So you said TV, and I was gonna share this. Have you started watching Dahmer? Yes. Well. First of all, I finished it's, it. It's so good. Don't tell me because I'm still in like episode four. Because you know my poor baby Josh, he doesn't like the scary stuff, and yeah. it's it's told like a scary movie.
1: Oh, it's scary.
0: It's scary, and like especially the first episode, I was like, "Holy shit, we're jumping right into this!" But like, like
1: the first kill. I mean, Um, like most people know, he was like 18. Yeah. That one is hard to watch.
0: Oh my God. Well, the whole thing, but I'm so intrigued. And I was like, I wonder who directed this. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Ryan Murphy. Of course. Because, you know, American Horror Story. Evan Peters. Is his name
1: Evan Peters? Evan Peters. Peters. Yes. He does. It didn't even look like him. I was like, oh my God. And then
0: Niecy Nash. I was like, yes. I love Niecy. I used to watch Niecy when she was on this show a long time ago about like people like trading houses. Like they would basically like you would decorate my house and i would decorate yours and like i like have a feel for what you what i think you like and you want it like redone oh, so she God. was like the host of it and she was hilarious and this is like 10 years ago um and she's done a lot since then but when i saw her in the opening i was like wait is that nisi because she doesn't typically look like that like they no. made her look kind well cool. she
1: was in like um she looks like an old lady in there i but, know um she was in Scream Queens and she did a good job in that. She's so
0: good. I just love her. I love her, love her. So if you haven't seen Dahmer on Netflix, you should totally go watch it. It's worth it. Um, a lot of people do ask us if we're ever gonna do Jeffrey Dahmer, and maybe we'll get to it, but it's so overdone. I feel like the majority of people have heard the story before. So maybe we'll wait till it dies out. Um, but we typically like to cover cases that maybe you haven't heard, maybe they're hot into like the news. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, yeah.
0: The notorious things. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but I do want to give a shout out to our new patrons. We have Sloan, which love that fucking name, by the way.
1: That's a good name.
0: And Kimberly. And Kimberly is actually from Sweden, which I think is badass. I want to go there um And also want to give a huge shout out to our girl JoJo. She upgraded her tier. Um, she so she's now on the twenty dollar level. <laughs> and Miss Mamas, I don't know if you did it for the free T-shirt or because I have to now write you a poem. Yes, but she wants a poem. I know she wants a poem. So yeah. And if any of you want to be a Patreon, I know I say this every episode, but it's
1: not just a T-shirt. You get one free item off of the website.
0: Yeah, true. So, I mean, so she like, might could argue.
1: pick like a sweatshirt or something yeah, too. Yeah, of
0: course. So if you want to be a Patreon and get access to exclusive episodes, um, starting at a dollar a month, please do that. Um, the link is in our Instagram bio. We would love to see you. Um. Bio. Bio. Oh, and Instagram, of course. If you're not following us on Instagram, it's at Misery Manor Podcast. Um, and it's a lot of fun, so come join the party. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, cool. So I'm gonna get into this case because I'm super, super, super excited about this. I know. Okay, you... hang
1: on. Whoever told him he can sing, please correct yourself.
0: Would you like to sing?
1: No, but now you're singing nonstop.
0: I think it's good. I think it's really good. <laughs> My mama tells me it's good. Um, am I free to start?
1: <laughs> <In deer>
0: podcast. <laughs> okay. So I'm really excited about this episode. Emily knows what episode I'm doing, but I'm really excited because she doesn't know like the ins and outs of it.
1: No, um, you always find shit that I've never heard. So,
0: so without further ado, so on this episode, I'm going to be discussing the confusing and bizarre case of Ellen Ray Greenberg. So on July 26, 2011, Ellen oh Ray- Oh
1: my God. See, I didn't even realize it was that- I
0: know. So on January 26, 2011, Ellen Ray Greenberg was found dead in her apartment with 20 stab stab wounds to her head, neck, and to her stomach. So after I go over the details of this case, I want you all to decide if you think that this is an act of suicide or homicide. Because that's what it's going homicide. Homicide, to come up um, many times. They're going to go back and we'll forth. We'll do
1: a poll right. on um, the Instagram.
0: Yes. And if you want to like post your thoughts on the Instagram post please, by all means, do so.
1: And be nice.
0: Yes. So I am going to start off with a little background on Ellen. So Ellen Ray Greenberg was born in New York City on June 23rd, 1983. She was the only child of Joshua and Sandra Greenberg, and she was her parents' pride and joy. So her father was a periodontist, and her mother was a dental hygienist, which, by the way, if you've ever seen a photo of Ellen, she has the most gorgeous smile. Her teeth are like... veneer goals and she smiles literally from ear to ear gorgeous
1: what Um, is a periodontist
0: i think it's like a um like a tooth doctor surgeries that kind of stuff i thought a
1: dentist was a tooth doctor
0: well, so they actually do like the surgery side of things. Okay. So the family moved to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, when Ellen was about three years old and built a life there. Ellen was described by her family and her friends as being very bubbly, silly, outgoing. And she was like a total girly girl. She loved fashion. She loved makeup. She loved magazines, jewelry, etc. But also her father said that she was a daddy's girl and she would love to attend uh, sporting events with him. So her friends also said that Ellen was, quote, the girl that you could call if you ever needed something. So she was always smiling. She was very popular at school. She went to Penn State University, where she was involved in various campus activities, and she always kept busy with her social life as well as her academic life. So after graduating from Penn State with a degree in communications, Ellen thought thought that she wanted to become a a speech pathologist. So I clearly need one because I can't talk. (laughs) But the more she thought about it, she felt like her calling was to be a teacher. So she had always loved kids and said that it was like her heart's calling just to be a teacher and be around Mm -hmm. kids. So Ellen continued her studies at Temple University to get her teaching degree and then began working as a first grade teacher at Juanita Park Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, which by the way, like if you're listening and you're a teacher, kudos to you. My mom was a teacher before she retired. And I remember her coming home with just so much stress, so many great memories as well. Just having the kids. Emily was a teacher for quite a while. Um, so, so I know, you know how it is, but like later we're going to get into some of the anxiety and stress that she had. And my
1: mom was, my mom was a teacher.
0: Right. So very stressful and a very underpaid career. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's see. So, one of
1: the most rewarding, really. Like it is the best thing. I miss it so much.
0: Absolutely. So by all accounts, she was extremely dedicated to her profession and loved her students. Everyone that she knew said that this job was made for her and she enjoyed going to school or going to work. The kids loved her. The staff loved her. She was just such a pleasant person did to she be around.
1: Teach speech and school? No, like oh, okay. English,
0: but just first, first grade. Oh, okay. So overall, she seemed to be a happy young woman with her whole life ahead of her. And just like any other maturing adult, Ellen did struggle with anxiety, but Ellen claimed that her anxiety was mostly due to work stress and the students in her classes. So think about it, though. I mean, she just graduated college. This is her first real job. She probably isn't making that much money. I mean, we know she's probably not. And this is like the first time that she's truly on her own. So anxiety is totally understandable for someone going through these severe changes in life. So not only that, though, Ellen was also super busy planning a wedding to her fiance, 28-year-old Samuel Goldberg. So their wedding was coming up and it was set for August 2011 and she was so excited that she would talk about it often with her friends. Um, they would do like wedding planning dates like she was just over the moon excited about this. So her name
1: was going to be go from Greenberg to to Goldberg. Goldberg.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Samuel Goldberg and Ellen had met about three years earlier on a blind date and apparently fell very hard and very fast for each other. So they had been dating for about three years like I said and the couple took like a couple's trip to California where Sam popped the question to Ellen on the beach Uh and of course she said yes and I found photos of her like flashing her ring and they're like hugging and she's just so 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 excited so the couple decided to move in together and were living in an apartment on the outskirts of philadelphia now ellen's family and friends did explain that they had become a little bit concerned about her anxiety because she seemed to be a lot more worried now and more shot off and not as bubbly as she had been before but again moving into a new apartment you're living with your fiance for the first time like that's a lot of stress yeah so Her father urged her to just speak with someone and just get some professional help, and Ellen thought that it was a great idea, and she was kind of open to anything and everything just to get rid of this anxiety and depression. So she began seeing a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist prescribed her some medication, and her friends and family said that they saw a significant change in her demeanor and just her overall mood. However, around this time, she had expressed to her parents that she actually wanted to move back home to Harrisburg and, like, leave her job and like move back in with them. Uh, So they were like,
1: Okay. Like, leave her relationship.
0: No, 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 no. Just like move back home. Like she just wanted to like, she missed her parents. Cause remember she was very close to her family. This is the first time besides in college that she hadn't been near them. But
1: how would she be married and then living at home? I
0: know. So that's what, well, I mean, that's going to be a concern that's going to come up later. So this seemed very odd to them because she had been living with her fiance who she was planning to marry in just like a few months. So why would she want to move home? But she never mentioned anything like bad about sam you know in fact she was she was like oh no 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 no! it's not it has nothing to do with sam i love him everything is fine i just i just really miss you i i think my anxiety would be better if i just come home for a little bit and you know spend time with you all
1: like before she gets married
0: yes before but she would have to again leave her job okay. so Here we go, so on January 26, 2011, Philadelphia was hit with a large blizzard. Because of this blizzard, Ellen left work early that day to avoid, you know, the rough roads and the potential of being Mm -hmm. snowed in. So Ellen had spoken to her mom early that morning and everything seemed fine and normal. Um, So after leaving work, Ellen stopped up to fill her gas with tank, which Josh told me you should always do that if you can safely during like a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she went home to do some more wedding planning. So she told her mom, I'm going to go home and just take this time to do some wedding planning which uh, by the way, a couple of days prior to this, she had just sent out their save the date. So like people were RSVPing and she was just so so excited. So what we know about the rest of this day comes from Ellen's fiance, Sam. So we're going to be relying on his version of the events because unfortunately Ellen's no longer here to tell us exactly what happened that day. So when Ellen returned home, according to Sam, they hung out, did some wedding planning, watched TV, chatted about their day until about 4.45 in the afternoon. So that day, Sam was actually also home as well due to the storm he was sent home. Um, He was actually a TV producer for NBC. So again, around 4.45 that day, Sam decided he wanted to head to the gym. And lucky for them, they had a gym in their apartment complex. So he didn't have to drive to the gym. He was like, I'm just going to go down to the gym for a little bit, get a workout in. So Sam left Ellen um, at home alone, as he normally did, on their sixth floor apartment and headed downstairs to the gym. So Sam claimed he was at the gym for about a uh, half hour, which quick workout, and he returned to the apartment only to find, strangely, that the door had been locked which, locked, which he thought was strange. I'm like, I lock the door every time I leave, or like even if like Josh leaves, or like you leave, I lock the door. But he thought it was weird that the door was locked. So luckily, though, he did have his key fob on him. And when he went to unlock the door, he noticed that the swing bar latch had been locked shut from the inside. And you, as you know, you can only lock that from the inside. Yeah. So Sam was like, well, this is very strange. Like, why would she lock me out? She knew I was at the gym. Like, I don't understand what's going on. So he's like knocks on the door. No answer. Then he starts like banging on the door. And he's like yelling like, Ellen, Ellen, like open up, like screaming, panicked because at this point he's getting worried because there's like still no answer at the door and he's like what the hell is going on so uh, Sam starts texting Ellen and trying to like call her maybe she took a nap maybe she's in the shower who knows he has no like she
1: has to be inside so
0: she has to be inside because it's locked from the inside and they're on the sixth floor so he doesn't know what's going on so for about 22 minutes he's just left outside banging on the door so then he starts texting her so here's how the text went.
1: I remember this part. He
0: said, hello. And then he said, open the door. Then he said, what are you doing? Then he said, I'm getting pissed. And then he said, hello, you better have an excuse. And then he sent another one that said, what the fuck? And then he said another one that said, why are you doing this? And then he sent another one that said like, ah. And then he said his last one, which I think is really strange, said, you have no idea. Which I'm like, that last one is kind of... You have no idea about what.
1: Well, if he's, like, being, like, I understand if, like, someone's in there, like, I can understand being, like, super upset. Right. What the fuck? Right. You have no idea. You just
0: result to, like, oh, my God, what an inconvenience. Like,
1: really cold outside. Right. And if he's outside. Exactly. And then. And
0: I don't think he's thinking the worst. I think he's thinking, like, she's preoccupied. She's, like, on the phone. Something. So he's just freaking out. But,
1: yeah, I mean, I do get, like, that is a little...
0: It is so. Eventually, Sam's like, "Fuck this!" So he goes downstairs to the security guard in the building and asks if the security guard can help him, like, break into the apartment. He's like, "Dude, do you have like a key? Like, wh- help me!" And basically, the security guard told him, "Sorry, nope, can't do that because that's a liability." Um, he was like, "I can't do that. I don't have the tools to do that. I'm sorry." So frustrated, mm-hmm. Sam proceeds upstairs and he just was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna knock down the fucking door." So he kicks the door, and after a few attempts, the door swings open. And he's met by a brutal and horrific sight. So I'm going to give you a view of how the apartment is set up when he walked in. So when you walk into this apartment, you open the door and you have a view straight into their kitchen. Okay. So what Sam sees is Ellen lying on the kitchen floor. She's propped up against the counter with her <gasps> legs out in front of her and a clean white tool in her hands with no blood on it. A tool? A uh, towel, sorry, a clean white towel is in her hands and there's no blood on the towel, but there's blood everywhere. Okay. So Ellen was fully clothed in a hooded sweatshirt, sweatpants, and boots behind her on the counter. There was a strainer, a bowl of fruit with freshly cut oranges, ready to be eaten. There was also some blueberries that that were in the sink that she was like cleaning, like she was going to put them in the strainer to get whatever off of them. Um, So apparently whenever this happened, she was in the middle of making a fruit salad. There was no blood outside of the kitchen. There was just blood around her and of course all over her body. So after looking through the apartment, there were no signs of a struggle either. So this includes no defense wounds, which we'll talk about later. Um, so it was very clearly, oh, so, sorry. So she was very clearly deceased when she was found. Again, she had 20 stab wounds all over her body. These stab wounds were to her head, her neck, her chest, and her abdomen. So these stabs varied from little small nicks to deep puncture wounds, which we'll get into more later.
1: Did he run over to her?
0: Um You literally always can read my mind. My next sentence is what he did. So just alone on the back of her neck though, there had, there had been 20 stab wounds and I want you to remember to the back of her neck. Okay.
1: 20 on the, I'm sorry.
0: 10 on the back. Oh, I'm like, there's
1: not even room.
0: I know. So 10 of the 20 were on her back or on her neck.
1: They're like the nape of her neck. Right. Oh my God. I need a tissue.
0: So we're going to talk a lot more. Are you crying?
1: No, but there's not
0: right here. Oh, I'll, I'll clean that shirt. So let's just talk about what happens next. So immediately Sam calls, and this is very weird. He calls his uncle and then he calls his parents. And a lot of people find this to be very like peculiar and very strange. But again, I think if I walked in that situation and someone's barely, very, very clearly I I would call Josh. I would call my mom. Like, please give me guidance. I I don't know what to do.
1: The first call I get, but like then to call someone else.
0: Right. So finally he calls 911 at 6.33 PM. So this was around 40 minutes from the time he had walked into the apartment. So that's a Uh, lot. uh. So once Sam got 911 on the phone, the dispatcher instructed Sam to start CPR, which, you know what he responded with? He said, quote, do I have to? So which seems really strange to some, and then he proceeds to do so. But then he was instructed to stop immediately because he goes, wait, there's a knife still lodged into her chest. So that's, I mean, and it was a large like butcher knife. Like, I feel like you would see that, you know? So wait, th-
1: was a sweatshirt over it?
0: No, this was all done outside of her clothes. So the police and paramedics got there fairly quickly. And sadly, by 640, Ellen Ray Greenberg was pronounced dead. So she was pronounced dead on arrival. So Sam was the one that actually called Ellen's parents to let them know what had happened. And he told them, quote, something's terrible has happened to our Ellie. So to make matters worse for Ellen's parents, they were snowed in from the blizzard two hours away and couldn't leave the house to get there. So they were very, very, very helpless. They felt like they couldn't get to what they needed to, you know, they just wanted answers. They wanted to, you know, just be there and they felt helpless because they could not be there. So when the police got there immediately, they noticed again, that there were no signs of an intruder all across the apartment. So the investigators are like, okay, so the door was locked from the inside. There's no evidence that Ellen tried to flee or get away. Then they were like, you know what? Let's look on the apartment balcony. They're like, I don't think anyone came through here because they're on the sixth floor. Like, that just doesn't seem likely, you know? Did
1: someone leave?
0: Right. Well, there was no um, signs that anybody had left, like, no DNA or anything. So they were like, you know what, let's look at the fire escape, which had accumulated a bunch of snow on the steps and they didn't see any tracks, like any shoes or anything. Okay, but
1: they came 40 minutes later, like.
0: Right. Indicating, so they were like, there's no signs that there's an intruder. Nothing was displaced. Nothing was disheveled. Like, and the only blood is in the kitchen. Like you would have thought if someone came in and killed her, that they would have potentially tracked some blood, but there was no blood anywhere to be found. So the police were like, "Okay, hmm, no forced entry. There's only blood in the kitchen. Apartment was locked from the inside. There's no defense wounds that you would expect." And they were like, "If Ellen had tried to fight off an attack by somebody, like there would definitely be defense wounds." So all of this led them to quickly conclude, like right on the spot, suicide. Which
1: that doesn't mean suicide to me. That means that she died, like whatever the first like like blitz attack right. Uh, You know, like the back Mm -hmm. of the head had no way to defend herself because she's already incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And then then they just kept going because it's like rage filled.
0: Right. So for a lot of people like you, this was not adding up. So why would Ellen be making a salad for herself and then halfway through just start stabbing herself? Why would she lock her fiance out of the apartment? Why would she fill up her gas take moments before coming home to commit suicide? You know, she was so excited about her wedding. People were like, how? Why? No. Also, Sam's birthday was like in a week and she had just talked to her friends. They like made this reservation and she was so, so, so excited to give him a gift. They were like, this is, doesn't make sense. Like, Besides, we know Ellen. This would never happen. So the family, of course, wanted answers. So the police um, interviewed people in the building as well as gathered surveillance footage from in and around the apartment. Unfortunately, there are no cameras, of course, in the hallway that they lived in. Um, But they did look at the cameras at the entrance of the apartment and the exit. But they weren't able to say that there were any, quote, like intruders that came in. But that's so hard to like nobody suspicious that they thought. Yeah,
1: because it could be someone she knew. Right.
0: And it could be anybody. So they also took several statements from neighbors and every single neighbor claimed they didn't hear any screaming or commotion going on that was like alarming. The only thing that they heard was Sam knocking on the door frantically and like crying and eventually knocking down the door. And they all did confirm that he sounded very distressed and very worried. Um, They also spoke to the security guard who Sam had asked for help um, earlier in the day um, and he told police that Sam did ask him to let him in the apartment and that his fiance had locked him out after he went to the gym. But the security guard said, pol- t- uh, told police that he thought it was very odd that Sam had boots on and not sneakers. And he had like jeans on if he had just been at the That's gym. Dumb. Yeah. Which there's a blizzard outside. Like he was cold. He probably did his workout. Didn't yeah. Want your it-
1: shoes would get wet. You don't walk like if Okay. That makes me mad because that seems like that guy's just trying to like.
0: Right. And he did.
1: Nobody wears sneakers in snow. Right. That's stupid.
0: And there's another part where this guy, where Sam said, no, the security guard walked up with me to the apartment to like help me. And he was like, no, I didn't. I never did that. And they see like uh, security footage of him never walking with him, which they thought was strange. Like, why did you make that up? But, you know, sometimes in the moment, I mean, I've never been in that situation before. Thank goodness. But like. I, I don't know. I
1: mean, just today, someone was saying something. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I did that. But right. like, I didn't really remember. Right.
0: Oh my God, but, of course.
1: And then going back to, hang on, just, I want to go back to his text message when he was like, you have no idea, but then you were saying neighbors heard him crying and stuff. Like, I remember with my ex when he was, I mean, he was an alcoholic. And so like, I would be so fucking pissed, but- Worried, but I knew in the back of my mind, really, he was right. okay. Of course. So, like, my anger more came out, but then I was like mad because I'm like, no, because something really could be wrong. Exactly. And then you're you're sitting there worried because nobody had like it's just inconsiderate.
0: Especially during a damn blizzard. Hello, the nipples were probably rock solid. So we do know, and this is confirmed, that uh, Sam did leave the apartment at 4:45 p.m. And this is based on the key fob, so they were able to run, you know, like the little yeah. electric key fob to see like timestamps, basically. So they were able to confirm that the door was opened at 4:45, like you said, and it was not opened again until Sam broke into it. So this. Well, I
1: thought he could open it, and then he saw the chain.
0: Mhm. But he still was scanning the key fob to get oh, in there, and okay, okay. it sensors when the door opens and when it shuts. Okay. So again, no one in the building had reported seeing anyone strange or seeing or hearing anything suspicious. So again, they're resulting back to suicide because of the fact that they have no detail and no clue. And the key fob says that nobody entered the house, which shit, shit's faulty all the time, you know? Yeah. So the day after Ellen's death, an autopsy was conducted. So these this is where things get really fucking interesting. Again, Ellen sustained twenty stab wounds ranging from two centimeters to four inches in depth. She also had eleven bruises scattered on the right arm. The right side of her abdomen and on her right leg. These bruises were described as being in various stages of resolution, which means that they were not—they were in different stages of healing, most likely caused in different time frames. So, what are you thinking now?
1: I mean, if you look at my leg right now, I have bruises. On. I know
0: I bruise like I'm a, like a grape, but so maybe what you're thinking is not what they're thinking. So their mind switched to domestic abuse. So the odd detail about these bruises is that is that they were only found on the right side of her body. And these weren't just like tiny bruises, like, oh my God, like I hit my shoulder and here's a bruise. They were large and like dark and profound. So the police just thought that they could maybe be from like contact sports or even some high-intensity exercise classes like um CrossFit and all that good stuff. But her friends were like, No, no, no. First of all, she wasn't involved in sports and the only exercise class she did was yoga, which we know is not high intensity. So they're like, she wouldn't have those bruises unless the kids at school were just, I mean, you know, kids are rough. Know, but... So Ellen also su- sustained several injuries to the vertebrae in her neck, along with injuries to multiple different organs, such as ha- such as her aortic arch, which is a portion of the heart that helps distribute blood to the head and upper extremities. She also had injuries to her upper lobe of her left lung and her liver. So in the autopsy, the coroner could not figure out what order the previous injuries had happened. So regardless of that information, the autopsy switched things up and yielded the manner of death as being a homicide. Now
1: homicide,
0: homicide due to the nature of the crime and the wounds inflicted on Ellen. So, was suicide, now homicide. So they're just switching things up. Okay. So again, switch from suicide to homicide. And the crazy part about this, the police never told the family about the switch up.
1: Never told him. I was going to say it was the police that said suicide. Right.
0: So initially the police ruled this as a suicide and that's exactly what they told the family. They were like, it's suicide. It's suicide. But then the medical examiner says, no, 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 no. This is a homicide based on A, B, C, and D. So they changed the cause of death on the autopsy report, but never spoke to the family about it. In fact, the family found out the day of the funeral because a friend saw on the television that they had switched things up. So the police did not even care to call the family and tell them about the switch up.
1: Oh. So
0: now we have the Philadelphia homicide unit stepping in to look more into Sam's timeline, look more into the videos and study the history of the key fob to see like what actually went on that day. So Sam was interviewed by the police during the days following, but nothing came from these interviews that was like suspicious. And he was quickly released. They did not believe that Sam was involved in his fiance's death. They thought of him as a decent guy. He was respectful and he showed a lot of care and a lot of compassion. He was visibly very upset about what happened, and he also didn't have a prior uh, criminal record. Okay. However, the contents of the interview that went on between Sam and the police were never released to the public. And I just threw that in there, not that that's that happens sometimes, but I'm just saying it doesn't leave people like we can't do an analysis of it because we've never no one's ever seen it.
1: I mean, I'm already suspicious of him.
0: So the police just took his word and and took his storyline as facts regarding the events of that day. So, of course, they did have some of the key fob data and some of the security and the witnesses, but none of the testimonies eliminated the possibility that Sam wasn't telling the whole truth. So just a few days later, the police announced that they were putting the case, uh, sorry, putting the cause of death back at suicide. (laughs) So now we're going from suicide to homicide, back to suicide, mostly due to, to the peculiar circumstances. There's not that. Wait, sorry. <laughs> let me uh, start over. Just a few days later, the police announced that they were putting the cause of death back at suicide, mostly due to the peculiar circumstances and there not being any obvious evidence of an intruder, no evidence of an attack, and no signs of a struggle based on Ellen not having any defense wounds. She's going to
1: let someone in
0: right and then they locked it behind them
1: no you can't lock that
0: if they came in she could lock the latch as they came in
1: that's what i'm saying yeah. but like they could have left up on the stairwell or oh left.
0: and jump yeah well,
1: i mean like there was enough time for snow to have covered that if it was snowing right so why aren't people checking the weather to see if it was actively snowing during that time
0: right so their main argument was that uh, the fact that the apartment was locked from the inside with that latch lock. So in that Ellen was home during the time that her fiance was at the gym. Therefore, they said no one else was at the apartment. It has to be suicide. So there was also uh, a lack of any physical evidence on the body that could point to there being another person there. So there was no DNA present. Only DNA that was found on Ellen and on the knife was of hers. So the investigation also uncovered another factor that led to the uh, them to the assumption of suicide. So remember, she uh, she had told her parents that she wanted to come home and she wanted to leave her job. So Ellen had started seeing a psychiatrist prior to her death, and she had been described by her families as being very anxious. Right. Mm-hmm. So the police said, well, besides all the evidence, we know this woman had a mental illness because she'd suffered with anxiety. So that was another one of their bases. It was anxiety, it was depression, and she you know, committed suicide. So the psychiatrist had prescribed medications for Ellen to treat her anxiety. So a different uh, time, she was prescribed Ambien, Zoloft, Clonopin and Xanax. And these were not taken at the same time. I just thought that would be a lot. But over the course of time, the psychiatrist moved her around from different medications Yeah, to find what works. And most of these were anti-anxiety and some of them also treated depression. And the doctor said in her notes um, that she never had any suicidal thoughts and she never talked about it um, and that she didn't show any risk factors for suicide. Also, when the psychiatrist asked Ellen about her relationship with Sam, she said it was going amazing and that he's kind of the only person that she's really been able to latch on to whenever she's feeling anxious besides her parents. So the psychiatrist told the police, like, she seemed so happy. She even noted that every time she brought Sam up in a conversation, uh, uh, Ellen would smile and like, look all giddy. Like she, that was like her happiness. So she was like, no, no, this isn't adding up. So back to the medications Ellen was taking. So I wanna point out that all of these medications do in fact have a potential side effect of suicidal thoughts and actions. And the autopsy did show that there were only trace amounts of clonopin and Ambien present in her blood and no other drugs. So even if some of these drugs can cause suicidal thoughts, they said that it's usually during a period of withdrawal or during a period of abuse, not in the very small amount that Ellen had in her. Is it possible? Absolutely, but highly unlikely. So according to the FDA, about one in 500 people experience suicidal thoughts from these types of drugs. And these thoughts can show in as early as one week, but again, it's usually during the withdrawal period. Hmm. Also, as many people know, Ambien can affect your moods, but what they found to be odd is that she had Ambien in her system, which was a medication that she used as a sleep aid. and it would have been way too early in the day for Ellen to have taken the ambient, which she typically took right before she was going to bed.
1: Well, if it was only trace amounts, then it was probably just leftover left before, right? So
0: they just thought that maybe, um, oh, well, at first they thought that maybe somebody gave her the ambient, ambient to like try to tranquilize her, but then they're like, you know what? It's also possible that she came home from work early, she was tired, she took an ambient just to take a nap or get some rest or just go to bed early. Who knows? Um, So she took the Nambian. So get this. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on this because I'm going to come back to this later, but her computer was also searched. And the search history revealed searches such as painless suicide, suicide methods, and quick suicides. So this allowed investigators to believe that this was her state of mind at the moment. And so... At the same time, they were like, but if you're looking at painless suicide and then you stab yourself 20 times, that is anything but yeah. painless.
1: If you stab her, I mean, maybe where she stabbed it first. Right. Like, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't
0: know. So they also looked through her text message for any sort of clue. And they found that she had expressed to her mother on several different occasions that she was having a lot of difficulties. One text said, quote, I'm starting the medication. I know you don't understand, but I cannot keep living this way. So again, they're like ding ding ding, like they're gonna use that as to rule suicide, right? So they use this as the narrative to rule that Ellen was suicidal and clearly killed herself. So the investigators claim to have hired a neuropathologist, Dr. Lucy Rowick, to determine if Ellen's spinal cord was damaged. Now, why is this so important? Because if-
1: they paralyzed.
0: Exactly. So if the spinal cord was hit, but not severed, then she could have continued to stab herself and may have not even felt pain. She would have been numb.
1: That's what I was wondering, but how would she, if she was like paralyzed, how would she still
0: stab? Right. Well, she just wouldn't, not paralyzed. She just wouldn't feel it. Her body would go completely okay. numb. Okay, okay. Okay. So she said that Ellen, um, sorry. So Dr. Lucy did a, um, study on it. And she claimed that the spinal cord was not severed, but it was punctured. She said that Ellen probably went numb, which is why she was able to inflict the rest of the wounds, including the deep gash in her chest, which is most likely the one that killed her. And that's why it was left in. She did it and then it killed her. And that's why it was stuck in her. So this poor family is going through so many emotions. It's like a roller coaster, right? So first suicide, then a homicide, and now we're back to being suicide. So like, whoa. So let's talk a little bit more about the possibility that Ellen had taken her own life. So we already talked about the fact that stabbing yourself is not a quick or painless, which is what Ellen was uh, Google searching. However, it is also very unlikely. So only uh, 1% to 3% of suicide attempts include using a knife. Also, individuals who do use a knife kill themselves usually by slitting their wrist and do not stab themselves in the neck, in the head, in the chest, et cetera. She was also stabbed through her clothes, which why investigators were like, why would she want to make it more difficult on herself to stab through her clothes? A lot of the cases that they researched, someone had lift up their shirt, they've taken it off, but for, to stab through the clothes would make it that more difficult to actually penetrate through, right? So the family's number one goal was to have the cause of death changed to either homicide or even undetermined. And I'm sure you know why, because this would have, they would have to keep investigating on this yeah. until it was, you know, determined. So the family filed a suit with their attorney, Joe Petrazza, against the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office in hopes to have the manner of death changed. They also got their hands on the autopsy report and the crime scene photos by working with the former state attorney general, Walter Cohen. With this help, they were able to gain access to important information concerning the case, such as like the police case files and all these other stuff that they had not seen before.
1: What about the interview with uh, what's his face?
0: Nope. No one's seen that. So this was really difficult because the police would not share anything with the family. The police basically told them, if you want to see anything, you can come to the station, but you cannot take pictures. You can't take things home with you. You cannot take notes. You cannot bring your lawyer. Nothing. Just you and the family can come over here to review it. So it's no like evidence. they're it's like they're working against them.
1: I have a question. Who is his uncle?
0: Who? Oh, I'm going to get to that. He's a judge for the county.
1: Okay. Yep. So, so
0: so the family was like, oh, hell no. And they uh, retained pretty much a dream team to help them fight this. They're like, it's go time. The police aren't working with us. We're going to, we're going to get a dream team ready and we're going to fucking go to battle. So they retained a team of experts first. Okay. There's like a cat hair in my mouth. Oh Got God. it. At first, they uh, hired Cyril. Is that how you say it? Cyril Wetched. Have you heard of him? I know you have. So he's like the total badass in the forensic pathologist world. Okay. Oh my God. Do you see how much cat <laughs> hair is in my mouth? <laughs> so he has handled close to 15,000 autopsies and he's done some of the- Oh,
1: he's like super old.
0: Yes. He's done the yeah. JFK case. Yeah. He did Sharon Tate, JonBenet Ramsey, yeah. and other huge cases. So For the JFK assassination, he was actually the one to challenge the single bullet theory. So he's exactly who you would want on your team to handle this. So Cyril said that the location of the stab wounds on the back of Ellen's neck was not only unusual for a suicide, but that the actual volume of stabs and the location of the wounds on the back of the neck makes it nearly impossible, if not impossible, for someone, especially of her stature and strength, to do that to themselves. So Cyril said, quote, he was strongly suspicious of homicide and also homicide and also said, quote, I don't know how they wrote this off as a suicide. Thank you. So he looked at him and was basically like,
1: what the fuck?
0: And he was like, no, ma'am. So they oh, all-
1: my God. It is so that. The fiance, he was looking that up on her computer.
0: So they also, well, I'm going to get to that because, so they also called Tom Brennan, who is a retired 25 year state police veteran and the police chief of Dauphin County. He volunteered to work on Ellen's case pro bono. So he also worked on over four, or sorry, 800 autopsies in his life. So he's made a lot of movement in this case. Most of what he's focusing on is trying to counter the claim that the lack of defense wounds means that it was not a homicide. So this is where the idea that you mentioned earlier, the blitz attacks comes in. So blitz attack is an attack that happens too quickly for a victim to react. And this typically results in the victim not having the opportunity to defend themselves. Hence, no defense wounds on Ellen. And this also might be why the neighbors didn't hear commotion or screams because it happened so quickly. I mean, someone in her stature, they were like a single blow could have knocked her out immediately, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Also, as he looked at this case, it was revealed that the blood evidence was overlooked in the first investigation and Brennan was able to point out some new blood evidence, which this part was like, holy fuck. So the crime scene photos that were taken revealed that Ellen had a dry stream of blood running horizontally across her nose to her cheek.
1: Oh, she was laying down. So
0: this would have been evidence that at some point she was laying on her side because when they found her, she was sitting upright. So this detail goes against the assumption that Ellen was never moved. So they were like, was she posed? So the counterpoint to this was, well, maybe she stabbed herself, lost her consciousness, fell to her side, then got back up and just continued to stab herself. In addition to this, one of the detectives, Scott Illman, after reviewing the crime scene, said that there was, in fact, a trail of blood that would be consistent with the body being moved. There was also this gentleman by the name of Guy DeAndra, who used to be a homicide prosecutor and was also volunteering his time on Ellen's case. So he looked at the blood evidence and was like, what? How was this overlooked in the first investigation? I don't understand. That blood path, he said, defines gravity. So that means that she was moved. And I don't think she did it on her own, is what he said.
1: Okay. And you know what? What? The bruises.
0: Right. Oh yeah.
1: When you're like, okay, here's an instance, but when your blood pools, that means you're laying a certain way. Like remember when I broke my, my arm. Mm-hmm. So when I got my cast off, I had a massive bruise on my elbow because my arm was like this for several months in a cast. Okay. So if she was like laying down and she was already dead, you, your blood, maybe her blood pooled there. Or
0: right. Totally. I love that. <sighs> That's just so fucking crazy to me. So this isn't. This part's gonna make you say, "What the fuck?" As if none of I this. I already did. think it's her okay. fiance. So another piece of evidence that was reexamined was the existence of neural. Uh, was the existence of a neuropathologist report being ran? So remember how they tried to say the stab wounds to Ellen's neck would have not been severe enough to the point where she could have continued stabbing, right? Well, this part is very interesting because the police said that it was. Um, a woman by the name of Lucy Rourke who had filled out that report. They were like, she filled it out. She did the test on it. It was Lucy. But Ellen's family and the new team of professionals working with them were not able to get a copy of this report. So, they went to the med, uh, medical examiner's office. And when they went to the police, the report was nowhere to be found. They were like, We don't know where it is. Like, I can't find it. I don't, you know, we must have misplaced it. Someone has to have it. So, since they could not find a copy, they were like, You know what? We're going to go directly to Lucy, Dr. Lucy Rourke. And shockingly, she told them, I have no recollection of ever performing that analysis on her, and I'm pretty sure I would remember that. So then she checks her like bills and her receipts of getting paid, and she was like, "No, I never got paid for that." But then she said, "quote I would not include. Wait, I would include that I did not see the specimen in question, although there was a remote possibility that it was shown to me at some port, some point." She also said, "quote I have no recollection of that case at all."
1: It's the so
0: they game. made it up. So then Tom Brennan, who we spoke about before, he also made a huge leap in the case when he discovered that the medical examiner's office actually held on to a piece of Ellen's spinal cord. So now this new team was able they to
1: didn't have to tell the family they did that.
0: They didn't tell the family anything. They were not telling the family nothing. So now this new team was able to look at the whether a stab wound would have severed Ellen's spinal cord and whether they could support or refute the decision that there was no significant spinal uh, cord damage. So they bring in forensic pathologist Wayne Ross to examine the specimen from Ellen's spinal cord. After examining and studying it, he concluded that the stab would penetrated uh, Ellen's cranial cavity and severed the cranial nerves to her brain. This led him to conclude that Ellen would have experienced severe pain and an impaired loss of consciousness, which would also result in her not being able to continue to stab herself. And they were able to tell that that blow to it was one of the first ones. So he's like, how would she have kept going something like that would have happened she no she would the have felt the blow
1: failed. to her spinal cord was one of the first first ones okay
0: so next they bring in Mr. Henley Henry Lee who's most known for his role yes. in the O.J. Simpson trial so after he and got the l-
1: staircase
0: Oh, with the lady falling down the staircase. Yes. So after he looked at all the evidence, he said that according to the number of stamp wounds and the bloodstain patterns, that this was most likely not a suicide.
1: Stamp wounds.
0: Stamp wounds, like little bitty, like like little bruises and like little wounds all over her body, like little stamps. Okay. So Gregory McDonald, who is the Dean of the School of Health Sciences at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, whoo, that is a job title, and the Chief Deputy Coroner of Montgomery County also came on board to help them. So his issue was with the shallow stab wounds that Ellen had. He did say that the shallow wounds were not usually indicators of a homicide, as very rarely is there hesitation present in a homicide attack. And that it would have been possible for Ellen to inflict the shallow wounds. But he also explains that four of the much deeper wounds and the force needed to create those is not typical of suicide with a sharp object. So like many others, he made the note that the fact that Ellen's stab wounds are not indicators of suicide. He also brought up the idea that stabbing through clothing is not typical in self-inflicted wounds. So then we have Robert Campbell, who is a retired chief criminal investigator for the Washington State Attorney's General Office. Now, this guy investigated high profile cases such as Ted Bundy, the Green River Killer, and some uh, many other well-known ones. So one of the main things he pointed out was that it was strange that the knife was left in Ellen's chest and also that many of the wounds, it was clear that somebody else was doing something out of rage or anger. Okay. So there were also, I want to make point to this, there were also scratch marks on her neck that were indicative of strangulation. Indicative. Indicative <laughs> to strangulation and an attack from behind. Hence right. why all the wounds were basically on the backside of her body. So now let's talk about the locked door. So Sam said that he was able to get into the apartment by using force. However, Detective Brennan reviewed the photos of the scene and was able to see that the lock was still intact except for one screw. He believed that if Sam really used force to open up the door, the entire lock would have had to come off the door.
1: Oh, yeah, the little, like, yeah, the and, chain lock.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Those those, so you, like, maybe
1: it just was never on.
0: And you, like, slide it over. So, however, this has been called into question because if you look on YouTube, you can find so many videos on how to manipulate a swing bar lock, like the one on the door that Ellen and Sam uh, had in their apartment. Comforting. So, right. And a lot of hotels have these. We have one at Josh's house. I mean, there's five other locks on it too, but we do have that one. Um, So the Greenberg team started looking into this as more evidence of a homicide. So- For the next 10 years following the death of their daughter, Ellen's parents would not give up the fight to find out what happened to their daughter. Ellen's father told Dateline that he has never stopped grieving his daughter and added that there's no time to sit in a corner and cry. So the Greenberg's main goal is to clear their daughter's name. So they were like, we have to think outside of the box. We have to, like this, we're not getting anywhere. We have to think about something else. So fast forward to just a few years ago, the team on Ellen Greenberg's case used a new process called forensic uh, photogrammetry So this is a technique where they use software that combines photos of a crime scene from different angles, really allowing them to triangulate the position of objects in the photos and create a 3D model of the crime scene. So in order to utilize this method, though, there's certain data that you have to have. So you have to have photos that have been taken with the same camera in the same settings. And then the photos need to be from different angles and positions so that the software can work out the geometry of the space. So there also needs to be objects in the photos whose measurements are known. So they can be used as a reference about um, important physical features on the scene. Okay. So this method allowed the team to recreate a picture as to what happened to Ellen and whether or not she could have realistically created the wounds found on her body. And I will post these pictures to our Instagram because they are amazing. So remember I mentioned the current lawyer is assisting them in finding this uh filing this lawsuit against Philadelphia Medical Examiners Office and they've been utilizing um so they took the tools from this finding as a way to prove that they, that it would be impossible for someone like her to create those injuries to her own body. Right. So they used Ellen's uh Anatomical and physiological features such as height, weight, location of her organs, etc., even the clothes she was wearing, to determine whether she could have inflicted these wounds on herself. That's a lot of work. And their analysis came back and said absolutely not. They were like, there's no way Ellen could have realistically stabbed herself as many times as she was stabbed, especially since two of her wounds went so deep that would have it would have paralyzed her, or at the law at the least. Cause severe pain that she would have not been able to continue stabbing herself.
1: I just like, I can't even like reach my back Back. with my like bath. And even if
0: you try to do that, exactly. Or like, have you ever tried to like pop a pimple on your back? I mean, never. I'm sure you got some that you just haven't seen. Um, but you know, I'm
1: not saying I've never gotten one, but I've never tried to pop, but I
0: know. But like, if you even reach behind right now, like I could not, do that to myself, especially not even if
1: you go like this way, no, like especially
0: with like the force that it would take and not
1: precision.
0: Right. Exactly. So, um, Ellen's mother, Sandy told Dateline quote, my daughter did not commit suicide. We've grieved her life for years. Now we want to clear her name. We want justice for her and we want closure. So in January of 2020, Ellen Greenberg's parents scored a significant legal victory when the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas allowed the case to proceed past the motion from the dismissed stage. So the judge ruled that the case could move forward. However, the court proceedings had to be put on hold for a little while due to COVID, but were set to start back up in uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. So after months of pretrial testimony and media coverage, the Greenberg's attorney said that on December 10th, 2021, that his team, quote, Pro, or, sorry provided quote numerous additional materials to the AG's office in response to the AG statement to the press that the AG would review new material if the material was supplied and he claimed that he had new material that would just put an end to all of this so the family's attorney told Dateline in an email that the materials included apartment built new apartment building surveillance uh, the declarations of two uh building employees, and videotaped depositions of um, Osborne, Galena, these people that were within the examiner's office.
1: What about the fiance?
0: They weren't, they don't, he's not a suspect of interest.
1: I'm sorry, he did it.
0: So also, this is going to be crazy. They did a forensic hard drive search on her computer and found out that none of the painless suicide or easy suicides were ever searched on her computer. Yeah, they well, had. They had made it up. Like, they were like, where is it? I, we I'm just telling did a hard you, t-
1: it's the fiance.
0: So that was shocking. So luckily, after almost 11 years after the death of Ellen Ray Greenberg in August 2022, so just last month, the Chester County District Attorney's Office announced that they would reopen the investigation into Ellen Greenberg's death. So I imagine in the next few months, we are going to be hearing a lot about some like new evidence coming out, and we'll definitely keep you all in a loop with what we hear. Because remember- It's for a
1: civil case, right?
0: Yes. They just want to change the, they're not trying to really convict. I mean, that would be great, but their main goal right now is just to get it switched from suicide to either homicide or undetermined. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we'll definitely keep you up to date with what we find. Actually, one of our listeners sent me the, um, like a, blurb about it. So I didn't even know that it was being investigated again until she sent it. And I was like, Oh my God, I remember this case. So we got to jump on it. So just as an update, Sam Goldberg is now 38 years old and he's married. He's a married father of two. He did, he did and does remain in contact with the family. Um, so he's working still as a television producer for golf.com. And by all accounts, he's doing very well. Again, not a lot of people think that he's somebody, um, that did it, but, who else? No, <laughs>
1: oh, that was low. Uh, I, I really do think it was him, especially since you told me his uh, uncle was a judge.
0: So his uncle was a judge or is was a judge and pretty high up there in the community.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But a lot of people in the investigation said that his his uncle or his uncle would have not been able to sway people from doing this, that and the other. Now, I don't know the county Who that they were that, in. The That's invest- what I'm saying. Right. Like,
1: depending on where they are. Yes, they could.
0: So I would love to hear what you guys think. Do you think it was a homicide? Do you think Ellen committed suicide? Please share your thoughts with us. Would love to hear it. I know that there's a lot of people that go back and forth. And before this case was reopened in 2022, so last month, there was this huge petition where people were signing it, like, open this case back up, open it up, open it up. And like so many people signed it. So um, hopefully we get justice for Ellen. I definitely 100% in my heart of hearts do not believe that it was a homicide. I believe that it, I mean, sorry, but I don't think it was a suicide, but I also am like, who the fuck is it? Oh, and here's one thing that I left out. No luminol testing was ever provided in the house.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It's the fiance. There's just no other.
0: I know it's insane. So Again, would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Send us a message. Comment on the Instagram post what you think. Let's have a conversation about it. If you found anything that I didn't say, feel free to share. But we will definitely keep you guys in the loop and up to date with what we find out. So thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to
1: rate, review, and subscribe.
0: subscribe. Have a good night. It's
1: the fiance.